my name is Jenny Jones, like Ryan said, uh, and I have been gone the past 12 weeks. So if you started attending Real Hope in the um, last 12 weeks, you're like, who is this girl and why does she get the stage? I don't know why I get the stage, but I am in fact on staff here. Um, so they know that I'm doing this this morning. Um, but I'm really excited to teach uh, this morning um, because I have had all the words for the past three months and no outlet in which to speak them. So my extroverted self, as well as my husband, has been looking forward to this day for the past um, three months. And uh, so we're really glad that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, like Ryan said, I've had the incredible blessing of being on sabbatical. Um, these past three months and just recently returned. And if you don't know what a sabbatical is, uh, it's actually something that's fairly common amongst pastors, mainly because our nature, the, the nature of our job is both spiritually and emotionally taxing. It's not really one that you can kind of clock out at at 5 p.m. Um, not if you really care about your people anyway. Um, and so what we wanted to do when we started Real Hope is we wanted to make sure that our pastors had an opportunity to kind of step back and take some time to rest a little bit. And that be the main focus of sabbatical. Um, the other thing is that we wanted to recognize that kind of the number one cause of uh, women and men to leave ministry is burnout. And so we wanted to help prevent that because um, a lot of times unhealthy boundaries, especially in our uh, line of work, can lead to um, just even mental illness sometimes. And so we wanted to make sure that we were doing things to prevent our pastors from getting to that point. I can happily say I was not to that point. That's not why I took a sabbatical, um, but it's a preventative measure to make sure that we can stay in ministry and doing what God's called us to do for as long as possible. I just want to take a minute before we dive into um, the context of the message to just thank so many of you guys um, that are sitting in this room and so many people that are not, that are in our next-gen ministry and other areas of our church. Um, and just say thank you, uh, because really it shouldn't be possible for a full-time pastor to step back from a church that's not even two years old yet. Um, but because of our volunteer teams and our staff um, and just how amazing you guys are, I was able to do that. And our church didn't just survive this summer, it really thrived. And so thank you for that. Um, from the bottom of my heart, there was so much um, that I had space to be able to invest in myself personally, but also my family and my marriage. Um, and it was just such a great time. And it couldn't have happened without so many of you guys carrying a lot of that weight. And then specifically to Ryan, our lead pastor, um, because the day before I left for sabbatical, we decided we were going to buy some land in Rosenberg. Not the ideal time to decide to do that, um, but we wanted to kind of jump on the opportunity. So he single-handedly carried the purchase and the financing and all of that of that project. Um, and so uh, I am not sad that I was not there for it, but thank you for doing that. Um, so anyway, uh, my only assignment while I was on sabbatical was to rest. That was it. That was the only thing that was expected of me. Um, but if you know me at all, you know that that is not an easy thing for me to do. Um, I'm not a sit still rest kind of person. I don't do well um, with having margin in my life. And so I knew in order to achieve that, to not fail at sabbatical, that I needed to have kind of some boundaries and some rules in my life. So I made three rules for myself while I was on sabbatical. And so I want to share those with you. So here's the first one. The first one was this, that if at all possible, if I didn't want to do it, then I didn't do it. 
If I didn't want to do it, then I didn't do that. Now, obviously I couldn't do that all the time because I still had four little people that like wanted to eat and be clothed and were really high maintenance and whatnot. So I couldn't do that all the time. There were times where I had to make dinner and, and whatnot. But if I didn't want to do it, then I didn't do it. And some of you might be thinking like, do you really need a rule for that? Like I would love that to be my life. Well, for me, yes, I do. Um, because I don't say no to anything like ever. And so I needed a rule in my life that would help teach me how to say no and put some healthy boundaries in my life. Um, Because what would happen is this would produce me filling my schedule with things that at the end of the day, I didn't even really want to do in the first place. Um, And so I was trying to teach myself the kind of art of being able to say no, right? Here's the second rule, which is a little bit opposite of that is that I tried to say yes to my kids as much as possible. I tried to say yes to my kids as much as possible, realizing that I probably wouldn't have very many seasons in my life to which I just had the bandwidth to be able to say yes to them. And I've had the incredible opportunity of being a mom for 12 years now to four different kids. And uh, that sounded weird coming out, but 12 years now to four different kids. Um, And in those 12 years, um, the entire time, God has always called Chad and I to work outside of our home. So we've never had uh, like an opportunity to have a full-time summer with our kids. Now they've always had amazing invested childcare providers. So they've always had great summers, but I wanted to make sure that we were taking advantage of making memories. And so I tried to say yes to them as much as possible, which means we really watched entirely too many baking reality TV shows. Um, We ate ice cream for dinner more than once. I have some CrossFit coaches here this morning, so you have to ignore that. Um, We played hours of Uno and Barbies and basketball. We went on bike rides. We went on family runs, which I still don't understand how they convinced me to do that. But most of all, we had an opportunity to make amazing memories. And then this was the third rule that I had for myself. And this is the one that really... um, kind of produce the message that we're going to have today. And it was this one, is that I tried to commit to reconnect with what I call pre-Jenny. Now, what's pre-Jenny? Well, it's the Jenny that existed pre-wife, pre-kids, pre-pastor. It's the 17-year-old Jenny, the senior in high school Jenny, that really I had one goal, and it was that I wanted to live a life as recklessly abandoned to Christ as possible. And I wanted to reconnect with her and see what that was like. And it's, it's in this pursuit, in this time in which all the distractions were taken away, that I had a little bit of room to breathe. And I had a little bit of room to allow God to impress some things on my heart. And he really did this um, through letting me explore the concept of belonging, the importance of belonging, belonging to um, an intimate relationship with Christ and then also belonging to a community of believers and what that means for somebody and how that changes our life. And he did this in two different ways, um, kind of in an inward type experience um, that I had and uh, did some things in me personally And then through that, that produced some outward action that I think he's not just calling me to, but I think he's calling our church to as a whole. And so I want to share that with you guys um, today. And so, like I said earlier, part of my sabbatical was reconnecting with this pre-Jenny. And um, what some of you may not know um, is that I actually took my very first ministry position at the ripe old age of 18 years old. 
So I've spent my entire adult life um, as a pastor or in full-time vocational ministry. And while I was on sabbatical, it's not that I stopped being a pastor per se, but it was the first time in my adult Christian life that I had the opportunity to experience following Christ without the responsibilities of being a pastor or the accountability or what should be the accountability of being a pastor. And there was something that I discovered in myself that I didn't believe. And I mean like really believe, like in the depths of my soul, believe. And it's something that I've stood on this very stage multiple times and claimed as truth, but I realized that I didn't really believe that inside of me. I believed it for you as I was saying it out loud, but I'm not sure I believed it for myself. And it's this, it's this truth. It's the truth that God loves you for who you are and not for what you can do for him or what you can offer him. Or for me, it was that God loves me for me, not just what I can do or what I can offer. Um, And what I discovered is that when I no longer had this expectation on me to read God's word for the purpose of gleaning something to teach other people, or when I no longer had the accountability of inviting people to Real Hope Community Church because, you know, I'm one of the pastors there, like I should invite people, or when I didn't have a consistent outlet any longer in which to use and express my gifts, I began to wonder what I had to offer God or why he would be interested in me, in a relationship with me. Um, Surely he wouldn't want to just get to know me for me. What did I have to offer for him? And I I began to believe this um, kind of foundational belief. I began to unearth this foundational belief in me that I was only valuable to God as long as he could use me as a chess piece in his game to get other people to know him. I discovered that I believed that my self-worth was really rooted not in who I was because of what Christ had done for me, but my self-worth was really rooted in how valuable I was because of what I could do for him. And I, I began to realize that I wasn't spending time reading my Bible or praying or meeting with God on a, on a daily basis because I genuinely wanted fellowship and communion with God, but I think rather I was doing it to try to get something that I could offer back to God or even to you guys and to this church. And I found that after a while, in the beginning of days, the beginning weeks of that sabbatical, um, I found myself in a very dark and lonely place because I realized I didn't have an authentic connection to God. Um, That somewhere along the lines that had been lost that I believed that God genuinely was interested in having deep relationships with other people, just not me. And that he was just interested in using me to gain having deep relationships with other people. And regardless of why I, the motivation of why I studied God's word in the past, the Holy Spirit still continued to use the scripture that has been so deep, buried deep in my soul to begin to change and reprogram my mind. So day after day, even the days I didn't feel like it, I still went back and was there to meet with God. And slowly the Holy Spirit began to remind me 
of scriptures that were instrumental in changing the lie that I realized I believed to the truth of what God's word said. It reminded me of scriptures like Romans 5, 8 that says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not while we were perfect little performers or puppets, then Christ decided to die for us. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Ephesians 2, 8 that says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, but a gift of God. Gifts are free, and they're given out of love. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God began to reprogram my mind from lie to truth. And the lie was that God's love and my self-worth were dependent on what I had to offer that God's view of me was gained and then it was just as quickly dropped by how I performed for him. To the truth that God loved me before I was ever able to perform. That God loved me before I was ever even conceived. To the truth that God's love for you and for me is conditional on nothing. Because if it were, if it were conditional on something that we could do or could not do, then why did his sacrifice have to be so costly? Why did he have to give the life of his son, Jesus Christ, if we could manipulate God's opinion toward us? And the truth is, is that I love and I serve God for who he is, not what he can do for me. And he does the same thing. God loves me and he loves you for who we are, not what we have to offer. And I realized that we aren't simply a piece on his chessboard. We are the reason for the entire game. And as I was wrestling with these inward questions of identity, um, this is really what kind of birthed some outward convictions to me. I began to wonder how many other people might feel this way. How many other people in Fort Bend County, a county of over 600,000 people, How many of them might feel this same way? How many people even here at Real Hope Community Church feel this same way, experience the same level of loneliness in their view of God and their view of their relationship with other people? And so I began to wonder what it would look like if my family, just my personal family, would seek out loving the lonely in our community. What would that look like? And then I began to wonder, well, what would it look like if we as a church began to seek out loving the lonely? What kind of impact would that make on our community and on our county? And and the reason I thought about this and the reason I thought about this concept of belonging is because over and over and over again, throughout all of scripture, you see God saying, this is good and that is good and this is good and that is good. In fact, right in the very first chapters of Genesis, he creates, right, all of these things. We have dark and uh, light, and we have land and sea and animals and birds and, and people are in man. And he, he all says that is good until we get to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18. And then God looks at Adam all by himself, and he says this, It is not good for man to be alone. 
God says, what? It is not good for man to be, you say it, alone. Right. It's the first time that God says in Genesis that something's not good. He says it's not good for man to be alone. Now, if I raise the question to you of um, who do you think is lonely, I think that uh, probably a lot of you would think of a lot of different groups of people, right? Kind of like everyone else type situation, right? And I think a lot of times some common groups that we may think of or are, you know, um, maybe older people, uh, maybe those that have lost a spouse, um, something like that. You, maybe you might think of that and that kind of would be your line of thought. But what I want to do this morning is I want to encourage you to kind of expand your thinking for a moment of who might actually be lonely, who might actually battle with loneliness and what does that look like? In fact, there's actually a newer term for this that I studied a lot while I was over sabbatical, um, and it's this term of relational poverty. Relational poverty. Now, if you've been here at Real Hope for like longer than two seconds, you've probably heard us talk a lot about material poverty. That's something that we really... um, feel convicted of. One of our family's values is that we are a friend to those who are suffering. And so we take material poverty very seriously. And material poverty is the thing that most people think of, I think, when you say the word poverty. But there's also something called relational poverty, and it seems to be a new and kind of growing problem, especially for those of us in the West or in developed countries. And it's this, it's the fact and the reality that you can be with a lot of people and still feel very, very alone. You can sit in a crowded church building and still feel alone. You can be a stay-at-home parent and still be with someone all day long and still feel this nagging sense of loneliness. You can work around a lot of people. You can even enjoy what you do at your work. But if you never have an opportunity to connect with someone, you're never going to really love your job. It's always just going to be something that you do to gather a paycheck. Why? Because you're plagued with this sense of longing for something more. And so the difference between material poverty and relational poverty is this. Material poverty is lacking the essentials to get you through the day. Relational poverty is lacking the intimacy and the connection to live a meaningful life. So then why is this such a growing problem, especially here? Um, I see it in our community a ton, uh, but really in our country as a whole, why is this such a growing problem? Well, there's people much smarter than me, I didn't make these up, um, experts that kind of have some theories as to why relational poverty is growing. Um, And so I'm going to share a couple of them with you. Um, One of them is just the breakdown of families. So some of you um, might have unfortunately experienced this. You, you've walked through um, a big divorce, and so you've experienced uh, maybe the division of possessions, but sometimes it's even the division of people. And so those, those relationships tend to break down, and so that's one of the ways is a breakdown in family. Another way is just increased mobility. So not too long ago, people would, families would kind of pick a city, and they would be in that city for generations, We don't really do that anymore, very often. Um, People don't really pick one place to stay. We move around a lot more. And then also just heavy workloads. We're so busy, we don't have time to connect with each other intimately. And then one of the last theories that's contributing to relational poverty, and probably in my opinion, I think one of the biggest contributing factors, even with all of its benefits, 
but definitely can cause loneliness is just the rise of social media. Just the rise of social media. Because here's what social media does. It gives us a glimpse into somebody else's life, but that tends to be a very polished glimpse, right? And it's not an intimate connection. And so we might even feel lonely ourselves, and so we might take a selfie and post a selfie, and then what are you doing? Like, you guys admit this. I know some of you do this. Then you're going back throughout the day to see, well, how many likes did I get? What comments were made? And then what happens when nobody comments? You feel lonely. You feel like you put yourself out there and nobody commented on it. And I think this is so prevalent that I think you could probably walk up to anybody that's active on social media and you could say, hey, can you tell me off the top of your head the posts that was like the most liked or most commented on? And probably most people could because it made that big of an impact. But sometimes it also leads to us just feeling more alone. And here's the reality, no matter how many people you know, no matter how connected you are, every one of us at some point is going to find ourselves a victim to relational poverty. And if you aren't there right now, you're probably connected to more people that are suffering from this than you think are. And so if that's the case, then how do we love the lonely? How as a church, how as Real Hope Community Church, how as individuals Can we do this? Well, we're going to talk about three ways. Um, And these are the most common ways that Jesus himself employed ministering to those that were in relational poverty. And and the reason that we're going to focus on this is because our mission statement here at Real Hope Community Church is that we exist to join Jesus in transforming lives. We exist to join Jesus in his mission, sorry, to transform lives. And so if that's true, then we need to be a church that resembles Jesus. People need to be able to leave here and feel like, you know what, I got a glimpse of what Jesus is kind of like. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. So we need to look and see how did Jesus address loving the lonely? And how can we do the same thing? And so if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, um, there's there's cards in the middle of your table as well as um, pens and that kind of stuff. Um, Please uh, write this first one down. It's a, we're going to love with touch. We're going to love with touch. Now, some of you just got real uncomfortable. (laughs) And you're like, "Mm, I'm not sure we want to be that kind of church. Uh, And so just stick with me. I promise um, we're going to safe ground, okay? Um, But just stick with me. Um, So we're going to look at this amazing passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 8. If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, there's Bibles in the middle of the table. And we're going to do something a little different. So typically at Real Hope, um, we take kind of one big chunk of scripture and we kind of work our way through it. So this morning, we're going to be kind of in multiple places all over the New Testament. So if you want to I don't know, show off your Bible skills and follow along, great. Um, If you don't, just you can follow the scripture on the screen uh, behind me. Don't feel pressured to do that, but they're available there if you want one. So uh, Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 2. And this is what the Bible says. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him, him being Jesus, and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I want to stop right there because what I think is interesting is that this man doesn't ask a question. He makes a statement. He doesn't say, Lord, if you're willing, would you make me clean? He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So he is well aware of the power that God has. That is not at question. 
And here's something that you need to know to really understand the depth of this story. You need to know a little bit about the disease of leprosy because it's not something that's super common in our culture today, uh, but it definitely was during the time of Christ. In fact, it was so common that there were Old Testament laws, Levitical laws, that basically said, if you are a leper, you can do this, but you cannot do this. If you are around someone that has leprosy, you can do this, but you cannot do this. And here's why, because when someone got diagnosed with leprosy, they had a lifespan of about 10 years. But what happened in those 10 years is just unthinkable. It's not anything that any human being should have to go through. What happened in those 10 years is that their skin would begin to turn into very scaly rashes that would become infected. And then the leprosy would actually travel to their vocal cords, altering the sound of their voice. So two things that we really use to identify each other, our outward appearance and then the tone of our voice, those two things leprosy would completely alter. So much so that eventually the person didn't even resemble a human being anymore. Literally, leprosy would cause their bodies to start to decay, to decompose. So this is the process that this man is going through when he walks into Jesus's circle. And by circle, I mean literally Jesus's bubble, his personal space. Not to mention that leprosy is also one of the most contagious diseases you can have. So let's keep reading verse three. Let's see what Jesus does. The man says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What does Jesus do? Well, verse three, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus reached out his what? I was weak. Jesus reached out his? Better, okay. (laughs) Yeah, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. And he looks at him and he says, I am willing, be clean. And it says immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. Now listen, I'm not God, clearly. But just imagine with me for a minute. So there's a man, he's here, he's kneeling down in front, he has leprosy. What I'm doing is I'm doing this. I will pray for you from a distance. That's what I'm doing. That's not what Jesus does. He reaches out his hand and he touches him. And here's what's mind-blowing to me about that. Is that all throughout the gospel, so the book Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus heals people just by speaking the word. He heals people without touching them. In fact, in the account of him uh, healing Lazarus and Lazarus' resurrection, it says that Jesus looks into the cave and he says, Lazarus, come out, the dead are given life. So then why does he touch this man? He could have just done it through the power of his words. I mean, he's God after all. Well, I think he touched this man because I think maybe the bigger disease then just leprosy that this man needed to be healed from was relational poverty. It was a life of rejection. And sometimes that can only be healed through human touch, through a hug. And and I get, like, this this is hard, and this is a little awkward. I easily would be put in the group of not a hugger. And it's not because I'm uncomfortable with with someone giving me a hug, I'm not. It's because it doesn't occur to me. I'm never going to be the person that walks in a room and starts going around and hugging people. In fact, I'll tell you right now, if that happens, I'm about to ask you for something, just so you know. (laughs) 
But that's not the point. The point isn't that we have to, you know, become like politicians and kiss every baby in the room and give every hug or anything like that. The point is this, is that we need to put on eyes that see those that are isolated, hurting, and disenfranchised. And that's what Christ did. And he responded in a way that was going to be most healing for that man, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. He reached out his hand and he touched him. And there are people in this room today that you come to church here every single week, not because of the amazing message, not because of the amazing band, not because of anything like that. You come to church here on a consistent basis every single week because this might be one of the only times in the week in which you get a hug, a handshake, or a high five. Actual human connection. And I saw the power of loving through touch hugely. My last week of sabbatical, I went to Honduras um, and traveled with our Real Hope team that went there. And one of the things that we did in Honduras is that we hosted um, this women's uh, Bible study. And I brought a few pictures to show you guys um, just so you This is when I actually did hug and kiss a baby. It's fine. Um, I, it, does, it does occur to me to hug babies, I will say that. Um, but uh, we were hosting this Bible study for some women in the community, and it was supposed to be a quaint little study, like 20 women. We had over 100 women show up, which was awesome. But one of the things that I witnessed was actually before we even got into studying the Bible, and it was the founder of Hope for Honduras, the organization that we went with, or went and partnered with. Um, her name is Shelly Jones. She stood at the door. She stood at the entrance of this room, and she hugged every single woman that came there that day. And what I saw as I observed this is I saw these women walking up and looking down with their heads, not feeling very much about themselves at all, and all of a sudden raising their head up, making eye contact with Shelly, giving her a hug, smiling, and joy coming over them in their face because they were seen and somebody took the time to touch them and give them a hug. And it was amazing. It was amazing to watch how much the power of showing love through touch and human connection changes people. It's one of the most powerful ways we can show love to each other. So here's the second way that I think we can love the lonely. The second way, you can write this down, is we love by listening. We love by listening. Now, most people do not listen with the intent to understand what the person, other person that they're talking to is saying. They listen with the intent to what? What do you think? Respond, yeah. With the intent to respond or reply. So you might be nodding your head being like, yeah, I know, as if you're listening and hanging on every word that that person is saying. But really, in reality, you're just trying to put together like whatever witty comeback you're going to say when they finally shut their mouth and stop talking. That's how most people listen, unfortunately. But Jesus gives another example. He was a great listener. There's this amazing story that I want to build a little bit of context around before we actually read the scripture, and it's this, that there were these two men, and they were walking on a street, and uh, Jesus had, at this point, he'd been crucified, and he had risen, but the word wasn't really out yet that he had risen. Not a lot of people knew about it. So these two men, they have put their entire hopes, all of their dreams, their entire life on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, and that he was going to build an earthly kingdom. 
They didn't really understand the heavenly kingdom concept that Jesus was actually really building. So they're walking along this road, their eternal hopes completely just dashed and shot. They're depressed, they're lonely, and Jesus comes up alongside them. And this is Luke chapter 24, verse 17. And Jesus says this, it says, he asked them, he being Jesus, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood there, their faces downcast. One of them named Calliopus asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, Jesus could have responded a lot of different ways. One, he could have said, hey, Calliopus, bring the sass down a notch. Of course I know what's going on. Or he could have said, ta-da, it's me, I'm alive, check it out, guys. He could have immediately ended and resolved their pain right in that moment, but he didn't do that. How does he respond? Well, in verse 19, he responds by asking them a second question. And he just simply looks at them and he says, what things? Obviously, he's not asking because he doesn't know. I mean, clearly, he is the thing. He says, what things? And here's what I think this is, this is huge. And here's why I think this shows us an example of showing uh, the power of love through listening is that maybe in that moment, maybe the reason Jesus didn't reveal who he really was in that moment was because he was trying to model for us that we should love people before they have the answers. That we don't love people after they have the answer and then we get to figure out if we agree or not with their answer. We love them while they're still struggling, while they're still wrestling. We love them before they have the answer. And we just stop and we listen and we say, what things? What things are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? Tell me your story. Tell me about where you came from. And we love them by listening. And not listening um, to what they can do or what they can offer. Not even listening with the intent of fixing their problem. But just really listening. I wonder what it would look like if the local church, the church capital C, like as a whole, what would it look like if we stopped focusing so much on the next big thing and we, even here at Real Hope Community Church, we said, you know, we're just going to go out and we're going to simply love and listen. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to be about. We're going to be about loving people and we're going to be about listening to them. And we're going to show people that you have a place to belong. In that hole of loneliness, that desire to belong, that you're unsuccessfully trying to fill with things like work and success and finances and even family, that those actually exist to be filled by God. In fact, he's the only one that can actually fill those. And we listened, and I mean really listened, to people's stories. And we just said, like Jesus said to these two men, what things... What things are you struggling with? And how can we help? It's not easy. Um, You know, I I should say right now, like these things of how to love the lonely, they come from uh, me uh, out of a place of things that I am not good at. (laughs) Um, It's not that I figured these out. These are things that God was convicting me of while I was on sabbatical. I am a fixer. I, I just am. I, I like to um, 
give my opinion. I do, uh, even without permission in most circumstances. Um, I love to fix things so much that I often have found myself being frustrated whenever I'm talking to a friend and they're telling me about something and I'm like, are you joking? Like, I told you exactly how to fix that last week. Like, just do it. And so I get how hard this is, but I'm trying to be as intentional as I can be to learn the art of listening. My grandmother, when I was growing up, she used to say this um, to me all the time, which is interesting as I'm telling you this story because uh, I realize now that she just said it to me. I'm pretty sure she never said this to my brothers, but it's very telling. But she used to say this phrase all the time. She would say, isn't it interesting that God gave us two ears but only one mouth? And she would say, do you think it's because maybe he's telling us we need to listen twice as much as we speak? Possibly. Um, I experienced the power of loving through listening. I was on the receiving end of it um, a few months ago. As, as many of you know, my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer about three months ago. And uh, I can't begin to tell you how much it's meant to me, those of you that have asked um, over and over again, even when I didn't have an answer, you know, how's your mom doing? Do you have an update on your mom? Um, that's meant so much. And it was so nice and really lightened a lot of the load that we were carrying as we, we've been walking through um, this journey. But there's someone in our church that um, unfortunately has also had to walk this terrible road of brain cancer. And in the process of doing it, she lost her husband shortly after um, the birth of, Uh, their first child. And when she found out that my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer, she contacted me and she said, can I take you to lunch? And I thought, yeah, that would be great. And so we went to lunch and she sat and she listened and she answered my questions and she shared her story. She confirmed the feelings that I was having as completely normal. She helped me to understand what to expect through every phase, what questions to ask at doctor's appointments what things to be looking for as signs in my mom. And as I reflect back on that time, I can't imagine the vulnerability and courage that it took for her to, the, to have the willingness to refeel and remember every step of that really painful time of her life, but she did it so that she could love me in that moment. That's the power of loving through listening. And it's often led me to think, those people that are walking through similar tragedies or similar heartbreak that don't have a church family, how do they do this? How lonely must they feel? And how much of a responsibility do we have to invite them into an awesome church family? Obviously, I'm biased, but if you're sitting in this room, you are connected to an awesome church family. Invite others to be a part of it. Don't just sit there and hoard that for yourself. In fact, on um, September 9th, we're going to kick off a new series, and it's called Jesus in His Own Words. It's probably the most unoriginal series we've ever done. I'll just be honest with you, but it's a study at the Gospels and what Jesus had to say about himself. Because the reality is no one knows Jesus better than Jesus. So we're going to look at what did Jesus say about himself? And this is a great opportunity and a great series to invite some friends to or for you yourself to make a commitment to be here. And we're going to have invite cards next week just specifically for this series. And so start thinking about who you're going to reach out to, to be a part of this series. Um, Because wouldn't it be awesome for you to be a part of their story of how God used them to bring them into relationship with him and then with a community of believers? 
What an awesome role to play in somebody's life. So we love with touch. We love by listening. And this is final one. The final one uh, for this morning is that we love with time. We love with time. So Jesus had three and a half years of ministry, and he got a lot fit into that three and a half years. I mean, he was always on the move. He was always teaching. Um, he was always going to heal someone. He was always going to multiply a little bit of food to feed 5,000 people. He was always moving. He was always going somewhere, but he was never too busy that he couldn't be interrupted. One of my favorite examples of this, and honestly, this is my favorite story um, in the Bible, is in Luke chapter 5. And so we're going to put the uh, reference up on the screen for you to write down. Um, We're not going to read it together here. I'm just kind of verbally going to tell you the story, but I'd encourage you to go back and read it. Um, But Jesus is teaching in this town that he hadn't been to yet, and he's in this enclosed house, and there's people that are hanging on every single word that he has to say. There's some Pharisees there. They're not really that big of a fan of what Jesus is saying, but they're there, so yay, that's a win. And um, he's in this place, and he's teaching, and these four guys get wind of the fact that Jesus is in town, and so they think, you know what? He heals people, like physically heals people. What an awesome opportunity for us to go get our friend who's paralyzed and bring him to Jesus so Jesus can heal him. So they go and they pick up their friend who's on this mat and they take him over to this house. Well, as they're going to the house, they realize that there's just people, I mean, pouring out in and out of this house. There's no way to get in through the front door. So they get this crazy idea and they say, you know what? Let's haul this guy up to the roof and let's climb up there and we're gonna actually start clawing through the mud and the clay to make a hole in the roof. A hole big enough to then lower this guy down in front of Jesus. We can't use the front door? No problem. We'll make our own. We'll just lower this guy down. And what's crazy is that Jesus is teaching during this, okay? And as this guy's coming down, Jesus doesn't think, this is really awkward, but I need to get to point three, so I'm going to just keep going with it. He stops. Now, granted, if I get it, like if there was, if someone started lowering through the ceiling right now, I would stop teaching too. That would be shocking. That would be a shocking moment. But still, the point is, is that he's not too busy to be interrupted. He stops. And not only does he stop teaching, he stops and he says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Oh, and by the way, pick up your mat and walk. He heals him. He allows for a divine intervention. And my point is this, not all distractions are bad. Whoever God puts in front of you for that day is God's assignment to you. And if we all just stepped into God's assignment for us for today, I think all of the needs of our entire community would be met. But we're so bombarded as a culture with our calendar and our schedule getting filled up with all of these things that we think are urgent, that the urgent begins to crowd out the important. And the only way that we can counteract that is by loving people with time. Being willing to have a divine interaction, interruption. So recap, here's, here's what we're going to recap for this morning. The way in which we are going to love the lonely is we're going to love the lonely with touch. So we're going to be the best 
hugging church anywhere. If somebody wants a hug and they come to Real Hope Community Church, by golly, they're going to get a hug while respecting their personal space. I feel like for insurance purposes, I need to say that. (laughs) (laughs) We love by listening and we love by giving time, um, but like anything else, we can't do this in our own strength. Um, We have to do this by allowing Christ to do this through us. Um, And I think that's what God's calling us today, too, as a church family. He's just calling us to be a people that allows God to love the lonely through us, not in our own strength, but in his strength. And so this begs the question for today. We've talked a lot so far about what it looks like to love the lonely, for you to love the lonely. But I think we would be remiss to not stop and ask the question of, what if it's you? Um, what if you're the one that honestly right now you feel alone? If you were being honest, that's a place that you are in. Well, I pray if that's you that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart even louder than my words do when I say this. Your family here, we're a family. Now, we're not perfect. At times, I would say even dysfunctional. So maybe lower your expectations. <laughs> but we're your family or what you got. And we've been given by God to one another so that we can walk through the hard times with each other. And so we want to walk through those hard times with you. So if that is you, if that's where you feel like you are today, um, I would love to talk to you after the message um, this morning or email me, contact me, um, however you can, because I would love to help get you connected into the life of our church. But secondly, the second thing I would say to you, and probably the, the most important thing, more important than what I just said, is that God loves you. We love you, but most importantly, God loves you, and he designed you for intimacy. Not just intellectual knowledge, but intimacy with him. So if you're here today, and you feel really alone from God, like you, you may have never experienced an intimate relationship with God. You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know what that means. Can I just tell you this one thing? There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, that's where anybody that claims to be a believer, that's where we all started. Because the Bible says this, it says that every single one of us has sinned. And sin separates us eternally from God. Sin essentially builds a grand canyon between us and the presence of God. And that separation is where we all started. But the great news is that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay separated from God. Because then the Bible also says, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to have it all together. In fact, if you're waiting to have it all together, it's never going to happen. I just realized three months ago that I might not be sure that God totally 100% loves me. I've been in full-time ministry for 14 years. Your faith is an ever-evolving process. But one thing that you don't have to do is you do not have to stay separated from God. You do not have to feel lonely Because he gave his son, Christ, to pay a debt for you that you couldn't pay so that you don't ever have to be separated from him again. There's something that I want you to know. I want you to listen to this. I think this is really important and so impactful. 
It's the Bible describes, and we probably know this, I mean, you've probably heard this, especially around Easter time, that, you know, Jesus endured an unbelievable physical agony leading up to his crucifixion. Um, He hung on the cross, he was mocked, um, people spit on him. And he felt alone within the context of humanity because the very people that were mocking him and spitting on him were the very people that he created, But that actually wasn't the hardest thing for Christ. The hardest thing was that the Bible tells us that God the Father cannot be in the presence of sin. And in that moment, Christ took on all of the sin, not just for me, not just for everyone in this world, but for every human being that there ever will be, all of it. So in that moment, while Christ didn't commit a sin, he became our sin. And God the Father had to turn his back on his son. And for the very first time in Christ's physical, fleshly form, the presence of God was away from him. And he was all alone. And that was much more crushing than the physical pain that he felt. That's why he says, my God, my God, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? That's why he says that on the cross. But here's the deal. God did that so that you and I never have to experience that. So that we never have to be separated from God. And all he asks us to do in return, again, is not to have everything perfect, not to perform, but just to acknowledge that we believe that Jesus Christ died for us and we believe that he is the son of God and to acknowledge that we are desperate. We have no other option but to surrender our whole life to God and to what he's doing. And so if that's you today, um, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to lead you through some sort of scripted prayer because at the end of the day, that's between you and God and you need to say the words that are going to be most meaningful. But if that is you today, if you're recognizing, you know what, I, I don't know that I've ever entered into a relationship with Christ. I don't know that um, I've ever asked for forgiveness from that chasm of sin that separates us. Then in just a minute, Caleb and his band are going to come up and um, they're going to lead us just in a closing song. Just privately do business with God. You don't need to stand up or raise your hand or anything like that. Just right where you are. Just say, God, I need you. I believe that you can forgive me of my sin, and I ask you to do that. That's all that it takes. And so I just want to wrap up today by reading an excerpt from Romans chapter 8. And I hope that this really speaks to you and to your heart, especially if you're in a place where you are feeling lonely. And if you aren't, I want you to listen to this too, because it still affirms what God has done for you. It can also be something that God uses you um, uses this for you to encourage other people that you're around. You don't have to read it along with me. If you don't want to, you can, but um, just mostly listen. So it's Romans 8. We're going to start in verse 35. And it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the last thing I want to say is this. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. We love you, and God loves you.